Good morning. How is everybody? Are you awake? Right, that's, that's a start anyway. Uh, my name is Troy. If this is your first time, I'm the campus pastor uh, at this campus where I get the honor and the privilege to do that. And so I'm excited this uh, next few weeks to be able to uh, talk and go through Ruth with you guys and the amazing uh, story that this is in the Bible. Uh, and it's just this little highlighted spot in the Old Testament that really just, when you look at it in the context of history and stuff through Judges, you look at it and you go, why is that there? And you're going to find out here in a few minutes the importance of that. Now, I want to share something real quick. Pastor T already talked about our three circles training. I'm going to be leading that the 24th here at this campus following our second service. And so maybe you're here and you're like, hey, I want to talk to people about Jesus I want to tell people about Christ, but I'm not real sure how to do that. This is an awesome opportunity and an awesome thing for you that you can go through that will help you, give you tools that you can use to share the gospel with people. It is that simple. It's as simple as having a conversation with someone, and that's what this is. Uh, so I want you guys to be thinking about that, praying about that. And then one other thing I want to highlight is men. If you are um, interested in going and being a part of a weekend in Nashville for a men's conference, uh, you can sign up for that right outside the doors at our guest services. And I want to ask you guys, hey, listen, pray about it. Seek God in this. We went last year, took about 20 guys. It was an awesome experience. Heard some awesome speakers and just had an opportunity to be in the Lord for a weekend to get away from things. And so if you want to be a part of that, I want to ask you to just sign up for that following this service, okay? All right, let's do something real quick. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to pray for me as we get started. Uh, I'm a flawed human being and I need all the prayer that I could get. And so I'm going to pray for you because I'm looking at you and you need all the prayer that you get. And so I want to pray for you real quick and I want you to pray for me. And then we're going to get into this scripture. We're going to get into this word and see what God has for us today. Okay, let's pray. Father God, I, I pray right now for those who are in this room. Uh, God, I pray that you will allow their hearts to be opened for them to hear with their heart, to hear what you're trying to say to them. God, that we will take something from this scripture today that will not only impact us for today, but for the week and the months. And that God, as we share with other people, impact people even outside of who we are. Father, I pray for this time that you give me the strength that I need, that you will speak through me, and uh, God, you will just be with us today. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Ruth chapter 1. That's what we're going to be going through today. And I want to line up a little bit about Ruth and what's happening during this time. This is the time of Judges. If you're not familiar with what Judges are, is we, there were no kings, there was no leadership or anything in Israel at the time. And so this is pretty much what would go down. This is what would happen. Um, Israelites would sin, idolatry, um, paganism, getting away from who God is. Then someone else would come to take them over. They would cry out and need help and repent to God. God would deliver them from this. And so this is something that we see happen over and over and over again. And so this is about a 400-year period. And so we're going to start in verse 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem of Judah sent to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of the wife was Naomi. And the names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. 
they went into the country of Moab and remained there. So I want to stop right there as we get into this. Is first we know that they're in the middle of a famine. They're leaving their home to go to uh, Moab. They're in the midst of famine, so there's no food. So they think that maybe the best thing for their family is to uproot and move and go to Moab. But what they don't realize is it was a sin or it was frowned upon. It was disobedient to leave your place and go to a pagan country. A little bit about Moab, so you kind of know what happened there. They sacrificed children in Moab. They served several gods in Moab. The women in Moab were known for enticing the Israelite men to take them away from their families. And so there's this pagan place. Another interesting fact, like when I was going over this, like, man, I, I, I knew this but didn't know this, or maybe I didn't. But Moab was started, how this country even got started was from an ancestral relationship with Lot and his daughter. So this whole country is founded on sin, paganism, and so the Moabites, they were pretty much one of the main enemies of the Israelites. And so there's this battle between them, and so this man is moving into enemy territory. So he's moving there, and I'm, I'm guessing out of fear for his family and hoping he can find food or hoping he can find something for them, and so he moves his family out of there. All right, their names are interesting. And I want you to, I'm going to do Naomi first because I want you guys to realize this. I want you to remember this as we get further down. Naomi's name meant like sweet or pleasant. She was, she was a very pleasant, like that name meant pleasant. Her husband, Elimelech, his name actually meant my God is king. That was his name. My God is king and pleasant. And then I, I love this part. This is my favorite. Their sons... Uh, Melon, Melion and Kilion, their names were sickly and spent. <laughs> so I'm going to guess they weren't the strongest in the family is my guess. Uh, I've, I've got four kids and they all mean spent. I spend all the time. But I look at this and I go, th these names mean something. And, and they're in, they move from their homeland. And here's what, here's what else is crazy. We're not too far removed for them being brought into the promised land. And so when you get into the promised land, it, it's the land flowing of what? Of milk and honey. And so now this place that is flowing of milk and honey is now in famine, and they're wanting to get away from it and move out of the promised land. So this tells you the condition that they were in. Another way that you can kind of find out about their conditions, if you back up one other book at the very last chapter uh, and verse of Judges, in uh, Judges 21-25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So we basically have the wild, wild west in Israel. They, all, they could do whatever was right in their own eyes. We, we have that today. We see that in people today where they go, well, you know, hey, I do whatever I want to do. I make my own decisions. I interpret things the way I want to interpret. But, but that's, not, that's not what God means in this. There's supposed to be a standard that we follow. There's supposed to be a standard and a judge of what we have happening in our life, and that person is God. And so they're in the midst of chaos. They're in the midst of sin, idolatry, enslavement. But they're also in the midst of famine. And here's the thing about famine, what you'll find interesting. Anytime you read about famine in the Old Testament, 99.9% .9 of the time, it is God's judgment or wrath upon his people because of their disobedience. 
We're grateful that we're covered through Jesus. But in the Old Testament, when famine came about, it was God punishing his people. And so when God would punish them, they would then repent and God would deliver them because we have a gracious and merciful God who delivers us even in the midst of our constant sin and continualness in our sin. And so when you read Ruth, you have this tendency, and, and you guys are going to be like, man, this is going to be the most depressing thing this, this whole week. This is going to be depressing for the next three weeks after today of, of Ruth. But I want to tell you, there's great hope in this story. We're not going to get to it today, but I want to kind of give you a sneak peek of what's to come. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 22, Obed fathered Jesse... And Jesse fathered David. Obed is the son that is the, comes from uh, Ruth and Boaz. And what we're going to see here is this picture of who comes from the line of David? Jesus. So we, we're going to read about this horrible times that are happening, and we're going to look at this, we're going to go, man, there just seems like there's not any hope. But when you get to the end of the chapter and you read that there is hope because this is what sets in place the coming of Jesus for the forgiveness and to die for our sins, and that's what's amazing in this story. Let's continue to read uh, because we've already looked at God is at work in our darkest times. So we've already heard and read about all of these things that we're seeing that are happening in this country, in this pagan world. The Israelites are in famine, and so we see this, and so God, but God is at work. His hope, His hopefulness, it is at work in the midst of darkness. And maybe you know what it's like to be in darkness. And you know what it's like to find hope when there is no other hope, and that hope is Jesus. The second thing is grief is in the midst of famine. In verses... 3 through 5, we read this. It says, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These, two, these, uh, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Not only is she in the midst of famine and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do, grief enters the picture. It's kind of the old saying, when it rains, it pours. How many of y'all know what that's about? Sometimes it seems like it's financially when it rains, it pours kind of thing. So a few, few weeks ago, um, I was working. I, I, I still work at our family restaurant some, and I was working, and my wife said she wanted to help me out, so she was going to mow the yard for me. I was so excited. I was like, oh, that's awesome. You, you, you know, I'm, I don't have to worry about mowing it when I get off work. And so uh, then my wife calls me, and she, she sounds troubled. And I go, is everything all right? And she's crying. And I go, what's the matter? All I wanted to do was help you out. And I knocked out the back window of our van. And so I get home, and the whole, like, it's gone. Like, I, I don't know if that, how fast that rock was moving or what she hit, but it was gone. The man in me wanted to be like, well, what were you doing? I was like, it's okay, baby. We'll get this fixed. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is this going to cost? <laughs> What's crazy is two days before that, a friend of mine who mows yards said, hey, man, uh, you want me to hit your yard for you? It won't cost you much. I told him what happened. He said, hey, it only cost you 50 if I'd have mowed it. 
And then shortly after that, then my truck breaks. And so I'm sitting there, and my wife and I are sitting there. And, of course, you know, I'm keeping in a frame of mind of like, hey, people have it way worse than just my truck is needing work and we have to replace a back glass. I mean, in our times of like, you know, financial or whatever we're in, it may seem like a lot, but in the grand scheme of what's happened in everybody else's life, this isn't like a major thing. But it makes me think of like, hey, when it rains, it pours. She's in the midst of famine. And then she loses her husband and she loses her two sons, who is basically, that's all she has. And even her family back home, her family back home, she hasn't been there and and I think close to 10 years, 11 or 12 years or so, or something like along those lines that she hasn't been home. So she's probably very disconnected from them. And she's probably very, you know, when her name does come up, she goes, oh, you know, Naomi and Elimelech, you know, they left and went to you know where. And so there's this disconnect. And so she's in the midst of this great, great famine. The, the, to, another thing to point out is in verse 4 it says, These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there 10 years. So even Kilion and uh, Malon, they're they outside of the will of God again because they are marrying Moabite women. They're marrying pagan women. Now, I told you earlier what uh, Moabite women were known for, right? They would go in and seduce the Israelites to bring them back out. And so here we have the person Jesus' name is going to come from is in this long list of like horrible things and horrible people and horrible gods that they serve. But God is going to use her. And we see that coming up, but grief is always, it seems like, is always in the midst of when we seem like we're, our tanks are empty. What's crazy about this is Bethlehem is where... Um, Naomi and them were from, and the, the, the ironic thing is that the name Bethlehem literally means house of bread. So here is a place that means house of bread, and they are in utter and complete famine and in need of God to redeem them and bring them where they need to be. Verse 5 again, we see that sickly and spent don't make it. No surprise there. They didn't make it to the next leg of this journey, of this story. Sometimes we, I, I think about this often, and I wonder, in the midst of where we are in our lives, in the midst of loss, and, and sometimes we go, you know, God, I want to blame God, or I want to blame God for this, or I want to, you know, when we lose a loved one, or when things are at the point, we just like, we just want to curse God and, and move somewhere else and get out of the situation that we're in. But, but I, I don't believe God, God does it. Like he's like, I'm going to smite Troy in such a way. I, I just don't believe that God does that. But this is what I do believe. That whatever happens because of the sin nature and the sin world that we live in. Because we live in a sinful world, which means our bodies are decaying daily. That means uh, that the moral structure of our society and what we see have been the way that they are because we live in a sinful and fallen world. But here's what I believe. In the midst of sinful and fallenness in our lives, God can still use us. And God still works even in the midst of that because we may not understand it while we're here, but in the big picture of things, there's something bigger that is coming that we may not see while we're here. And so that's my prayer that we see in this, that even though there's grief in the midst of famine, and no matter what comes your way through loss, sickness, 
financial things, your marriage, whatever's happening in your life, know this, there are bigger things that are coming. The third thing is, uh, what's great about Naomi is she lost everything that she has, and then when God tries to give her a little bit of hope, she's trying to flee hope in hopelessness. Like God is offering her hope and hopelessness, and she's trying to get away from it. I want to read this to you in verse 6. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, or Moab, for she had heard in the fields of, of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from this place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said no to her. No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? I want to stop right there because here's what happens in, in Jewish culture, in this culture, is if my wife died, my brother who's sitting right over here, if he just happened to be single at the time, he would take my wife as his wife to continue on the name. All right? And my wife doesn't like you that much, Terry, so I don't know if that would happen. That's a joke. But that, that was their culture. Is, is so, so she's saying to them, if you go with me, I, I don't have a child in my stomach, and, and you, by the time he's old enough for you to marry to be too late, you're, you're better off to stay in your own land. So God has given her this, this hope, these people to walk along with her and her hurt. But she's turning them away, in a sense, to, to help them, she thinks. But she doesn't realize that God is using this to help her. How many of you have ever been in a place where you've pushed away help before? Oh, I don't need any help, I do it myself. I don't know how to tell you this, but we are not meant to do this alone. We are not meant to try to get through our hurt and our anguish alone. Because this is what happens. God places the right people at the right place and the right time in our lives in the midst of our hurt. And if you look for it, you'll find it. But if you're in a place to where you just want to keep pushing it away, then you're going to have to try and go it by yourself. And it never really works out that great when you go it by yourself. In 13 it says, Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi feels that she's being punished. She feels like God is against her. And so she's saying, don't come be a part of what I've got going on because God is against me. You don't want to be near me because God is against me. And so when you see that, and, and then in verse 14, th- this is my favorite part, it says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. 
Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Orpah kissed her and headed out. There was a deeper connection for Ruth for something here with Naomi that she clung to her. How many of you ever tried to drop a child off in daycare or here in the, the uh, North Star Kids that didn't want to go? Man, I'm telling you, my, my son right now is in this daddy stage and he's like trying to shake a tick off. I mean, he will, I mean, I didn't know three-year-olds were that strong, but they're pretty stout, I'm telling you. And so he, like, I just think about that. Like, my son wanted to be with me so bad that he just grabs a hold and he, he clings. He, he clings a hold of me. And so it says here that she clung to Naomi. Ruth didn't want her to go. She wanted to go with her. And so we see a beautiful picture here of what's fixing to happen. And that's point number four. It says, let people into your hurt. Maybe you're hurting Maybe you're depressed, maybe you're in these things, but you need to let people into your hurt, to let them know that you're hurting. Here lately in the news, we've seen two things of, of famous people in suicide. And, and that, that burdens my heart because they felt like there was no one else. And I, I want to let you know, it's okay to let people into your hurt. And that God loves you, and that God has a purpose for you, and God has a plan for you that is bigger than you can ever imagine. And there are people that want to be in your hurt with you and love you. That made me think of that, that when we don't let people into our hurt, we feel like there is no hope. Two people are always better than one. I, I'm a people person. My wife is an, an introvert. I love to talk to people on a long road trip. If I'm going anywhere by myself, my brother and my sister could almost set their clock because I'm going to call them because I have to talk to someone. And if they don't answer, I go through my Rolodex to find people to talk to. I know it's sad, but I can't help it. I don't like being by myself. If you ever find me in a corner talking to myself, please sit down and have a conversation with me. Please. But there's something about someone being with you and Naomi didn't have to go it alone. She didn't have to do this journey alone. And then we're fixing to read here that's probably one of the most beautiful things ever written, in my opinion, about the love for someone else. In verse 16, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Ruth's words are so powerful in this moment that she literally turned... Naomi has nothing else to say. I was talking to my wife last night, and I, I usually like, you know, kind of tell her what I'm talking about. And we were talking about uh, Ruth, and we were talking about this speech, and I was reading it, and she started tearing up. And I said, well, you know, what are you crying for? And she said, you're, 
your mother on a Mother's Day card. I, I, I wrote that passage of scripture in your mother's Mother's Day card. And, and she said that just because my wife had lost her mother and, and my mother had kind of taken on that role for her. And so we kind of like this relationship here that we see with Naomi and her daughter-in-law. Y- y'all get what I'm saying here, right? Her daughter-in-law. How many of y'all have a, a, a monster daughter-in-law or a monster mother-in-law? You know what I'm talking You know, usually those two don't go well together. Um, you know, my wife, I'm really glad she's not here today because all my stories are about her. But um, one of my favorite, favorite things is Robbie had to have a minor surgery one time. and My mother was there with us at the end. And so I remember that Robbie was laying there and she was coming out of like a sedation. And, and my, my mother's like, well, we'll get to your house and we'll, you know, this and talking, about, talking to her. And then my wife goes, well, it's not like you ain't ever been to our house before. And I was just like, it's the drugs, mama. She doesn't mean anything by it. It's the drugs. We live right next door to each other. There's no need for my mother. We, we, we see each other all the time. But in her mind, she's like, well, it's not like you've ever been to our house. And I was just like, easy, baby. But this is, this is, her, this is her mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And this love is so strong. And, and what's more to me where she says, your people shall be my people and your God my God. So basically what I think has happened here is we, there has been a conversion of Ruth from paganism to following the God of Israel. And so we see, because she's lived with them all this time, so she would have known their culture, she would have seen the things that they were doing. And so here she is, she loves Naomi to the point of she's saying, I, your God will be my God and where you die, I will die. We have to let people into our hurt. In Romans twelve fifteen, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I'm not good at this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Everybody loves to do that. Hey, congratulations, way to go. Weep with those who weep. Oh, they're crying. I'm, I feel a little awkward about this. When you let people into your hurt, people who have the same belief system, your brothers and sisters in Christ, what we see happen here is, is we rejoice with those who rejoice in the good times, and then we weep with those who weep. And, we've, and, and you know this is fresh on their mind because they've been weeping at the, at the loss of their husbands. And Naomi, her husband, and her sons. Point number five, and this is where we see that Ruth and Naomi are fixing to go home. God leads our path home. In verse 19 it says, So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? Now she's going home because she heard there was food. And so she's thinking, God is already directing their path because there is something that they need, something God is providing for them. And so they're going in that direction. So God is already directing their path. God is already leading them. But the whole town gets stirred up. Is that Naomi? 
I would love to be gone somewhere for 10 years and like come back and like, is that Troy? I didn't think you could lose more hair. But, but here's, there's, the whole town is stirred up. She said to them, and this, is, this shows you the state and the place that Naomi is in. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. That name literally means bitter. Rewind all the way back up to the beginning when I talked about what Naomi's name meant. It meant pleasant, sweet. But Naomi now says that she doesn't feel that way because she feels God is against her. So she says, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Verse 21, it says, I went, <clears throat> I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. Now, what I think is interesting that the author doesn't just call her Ruth. He's like the Moabite, because it's like, what is she doing here? It's bad enough that Naomi's there. You know, or they're probably glad to see her, but it's kind of like that whole kind of, oh, they moved away kind of thing. But now it's like, oh, the Moabite. Why is she here? Who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Here's the thing. When God leads us home, his timing is perfect because they're getting home at the time of barley harvest which is going to be, I guess, at the end of like this famine and all the stuff that's happened, this great time of coming into this town. So God has perfect timing in leading them home. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. <laughs> My wife's like, I think you use that scripture every time you preach. I'm like, I'm okay with that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. And so what we're seeing here is God is directing their paths, and his timing is right. Because there's something bigger at stake here. There's something bigger that's fixing to happen. And we rewind or fast forward to the end of Ruth and we see to where he talks about that we are talking about the literal lineage and the birth line of Jesus runs through Ruth. And that is good news, people. Also, listen, next week, in the next two weeks to come, if you've got single people, Get them here. Because we learn an awful lot about God's providence and someone who he's, you know, union and getting people together. So if you're single and you've been waiting a long time, maybe God will give you, God will give you a boyfriend if you show up. <laughs> I can't guarantee that. But if we get enough single people here, you may meet somebody. Exactly. See, that's, hey, what better place to meet somebody than in church? Am I right? Amen? All right, now don't be the creepy person that's like, oh yeah, can't wait to get in and see what, the, <laughs> see what church has to offer today. I'm not here for the Lord, I'm here for Laura. <laughs> God has got some good, hey listen, this, this story starts out in the dumps. But there is great hope given to us of what's to come. There are four things, or three things that I want to share with you. Lessons that we learn 
from Ruth today, okay? And the first is God is ruler of all. God is the ruler in every situation. He is the ruler in famine. He is the ruler in harvest. He is the ruler of everything at all time and in every way. In Daniel chapter 2, 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He is the God of all our seasons. He is the God of fall. He's the God of spring. He's the God of summer. He's the God of winter. He sets all of these things into motion. And so when we read this about Naomi in the midst of her darkness, in the midst of her chaos, there is an author within this story that is directing and guiding them and where they need to be, and his name is God And that same God that directs and leads Naomi is the same God that will lead and direct you. The same God. And then the second is God's mysterious providence. Providence means, that's that's basically a protective care of God. That's what providence is. That's the protective care of God over your life, his providence over your life. And, and sometimes it's mysterious because we wonder, like, is God's providence really there when we see this and the bad things come and the bad times come and the things... It, it's mysterious because, like, why is this happening, God? And so when we see this mysterious thing, we wonder, are we ever going to get out from underneath this? Is, is God's caring providence really, really upon us? And then we read in Psalms 34... 17 through 19, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. His protective care for us, if we cry out to him, he hears us. And it may not be when we want to be delivered or when we think it is, but God is listening and God has a plan. The last point is freedom like Ruth's is grounded in hope. You know, it's interesting that um, the book of Ruth is the first time that hope is mentioned in the Bible. And so this, this little highlighted thing that God sticks within the middle of the history of Judges and what's happening, this little bitty piece of hope that we see. Ruth is also the only uh, one of two Bibles that have names of women. Ruth is one of the only other books that is, that is written about someone that is not a Jew. And so this book has purpose. It has meaning. There's something to this because there's a greater picture that's coming and that's Jesus and His salvation. I want to close with this. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope.
When I read that in the New Testament, and I think about that in the Old Testament, that what was written in the past was written for us to show us that there is hope. So that lets me know that God put Ruth in the Old Testament so that I would then read that and know that there is hope in who Jesus is in the midst of my darkest times. That's powerful. That's, that's life-changing. Ruth, this small thing put there for me, for you. And he goes on to say in 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. What, what is hope? Um, I'm an Ole Miss fan, and sometimes I hope that we win. That's a kind of hope. But biblical hope is in the hope of knowing what is coming. When I was a kid, Christmas morning, that, that hope of getting up and knowing your presence were going to be there. God like that in our life, when we have that kind of hope of the things that are to come. Naomi ha- hasn't seen it yet. She's saying, Lord, I'm bitter. Lord, I feel like you're against me. But God orchestrates Ruth, not wanting to leave her side. And I see that as God's way of not leaving Naomi alone. And if you're here this morning, I just want to let you know you are not alone. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. God has great things in store for you. But we need to place our hope, our trust, our faith in Him. If you're here this morning and you've never asked Christ into your heart, you've never once believed that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that Jesus can come into your heart and He can save you and you know that you're sinning, you've never done that, you've never prayed that prayer, I just want to tell you right now, that by you having a conversation with God. Pastor T says it all the time. This, it's not about you just praying a prayer just to say the words. It's about a conversation that you have between yourself and the creator of the world. And when you have that conversation with God, this is what happens. The Bible says he comes into your heart, he comes into your life, and he saves you. Because you mean it with a, with a heart knowledge, not a head knowledge. Or maybe you're here and you've prayed that prayer. But you're just way far away from God right now. Maybe you're like Naomi and you feel like you're in the midst of famine. You're in the midst of grief. And you just can't get out of it. My prayer is that God places a Ruth in your life. And God starts directing your path home. Let me pray for you. Father God, um, I pray for those right now who need to know you. I pray for those who are far from you, God, that you are uh, knocking on their heart's door. That, God, you are just um, directing them to you. Father God, I pray for those who are here right now that maybe they're hurting and they're just in such a dark place that they need you. God, I pray that you give them hope. God, I pray that you give them a direction. God, I pray that you place a loved one or a friend or even a total stranger that speaks truth into their life. 
Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray for you real quick. As we let God lead us in the things that we hear and the things that we've heard here today, the songs that we sing, we say this all the time. This usually, when this time happens, people are already zipping up their Bibles and they're getting ready to go. And when the music starts, people start, leave, start leaving. Even if you are a, a, a greeter, a parking lot person or whatever, it, it can wait. Don't, don't cheapen the experience of standing and singing to a God who has everything ready to go and has everything in the palm of his hand. Let's sing and let's worship the God of hope. Let's pray. Father God, I pray as we continue to worship you, God, that you will guide, lead, and direct us. That God, we'll just sing from our hearts, God, and that um, you will find glory in this today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.